Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. It's good to see you. Get your Bible. Let's go. We're going to continue working our way through the book of Luke, and we are in, it should be Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 26. Luke chapter 6. And you can uh, read it here with me if you would, but let's pray. Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we can gather together and study your word today. Touch me to be able to effectively communicate. Touch the ears of the hearers to hear, the hearts to receive. Open our understanding. May we be enlightened by your word. We give you praise for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. So we've been working our way through uh, the book of Luke. We call in this series Red Letters. This is the ninth message in the series called Red Letters. And um, today, Jesus, in Luke chapter 6, was talking to the Pharisees. And he had just chosen his 12 disciples. The Bible said that he had prayed all night long. We talked about that last week. The Bible said that he had prayed all night long. He went down to where his group of disciples were and he chose 12 from among them. Now just let me say this and I want to clarify it again because I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to clarify it this week actually. Um, A lot of people say, well Jesus just chose those 12 disciples as he was going along. No, there's a whole lot of people that Jesus said to them, follow me. In fact, Jesus is still saying that to us today. Jesus is saying, follow me. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to follow him. He tells everyone everywhere, follow me. So when the disciples and, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when they're sharing the call of Jesus on their life and the call of Jesus on the other disciples like Peter, James, and John, when they're sharing that in their writings, they're giving their personal testimony of when Jesus said to them, follow me, much like you would give your personal testimony of the day that you decided to give your life to Jesus and start being a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple, a devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's a whole lot of people that Jesus would say to them, follow me, follow me. And so there was a multitude that was following him. And so in the first part of Luke chapter 6, Jesus goes up and he prays all night long and then he comes down the next morning and he chooses 12 out of that great multitude. And Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotes, uh, Judas Iscariot. There's 12 of them. He chose them. And, uh, and those became his disciples. So what, what we're looking at here is we find the very beginning of their training. I love this. Because we go later into the chapter here and the Bible said, you know, that Jesus went and he was praying for people and he was ministering to people. Uh, Stretch forth your hand. And, and he had a little spout there with the Pharisees and whatnot. Like he did a lot of bouts with the Pharisees. Had that bout. And then we go on down to verse number 20. And he, the Bible said he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. So here he is. There's still a a whole multitude. The Bible said in verse 19, the whole multitude sought to touch him for there went virtue out of him and Jesus healed them all. So Jesus was teaching. Jesus was healing. Jesus was ministering. Jesus was having this war with religion when it came to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees. And so it would be like Jesus doing all of these types of things. And then uh, if I was to just uh, look out through the congregation here and just look at my family. And I'd say, oh, there's Nikki, oh, there's Susie, oh, there's Jeremiah, you know, oh, there's uh, Sophia, the boss, 
You know, I mean, it's just, it would be like if I did that. So when Jesus lifted up his eyes and looked at the disciples, that's what it's talking about. Jesus just kind of looked over at them, and then he began to teach, and he said, uh, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. But woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Now when we look at this passage of Scripture, if we don't understand what the Word of God says about rightly dividing the Word of Truth, we would draw the conclusion that it's wrong to be rich. We would draw the conclusion that it's wrong to not be hungry. That it's And listen, poverty and humility are not the same thing. Hello? Poverty and humility are not the same thing. And so I can see why someone who is not a student of the Word, how someone who has not studied the Word of God would read these few verses right here and say, well, the Bible said, woe to the rich. Woe to those that are, that are laughing and woe to those. The problem with that is there are an enormous amount of scriptures in the Word of God that is contrary to that line of thinking. And I'm going to show some of them to you today. And so this is why people get confused. Now let me say it like this. It's because they try to receive... They try to receive something, how, how can I say this where we can understand it in, in a good way? They try to figure something out that they can only get through revelation. And so we have to open our hearts and we have to open our minds. And 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15 tells us that we are to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. Now here's the key. Rightly dividing the word of truth. So today we're going to look at these scriptures and we're going to do some right dividing. Amen. We're going to try to understand what Jesus was trying to say to the disciples here that day. Because those of you that's been around here any time at all know that, uh, you know, I'm not one of those that buy into the idea that Jesus was an extremely poor man. In fact, I can prove it to you in the scriptures that he wasn't. Not wrong to be poor, not sinful to be poor, not horrible to be poor. You're not lost if you're poor. It's just that you don't have to be. And I get so frustrated, especially with spirit-filled churches and spirit-filled people and people who are bound in religiosity and stinking thinking because they're religious in their thinking and they think that you have to be poor in order to be holy. Poverty, humility, holiness, they're not the same thing. They're not the same thing. All right? So, let's take a look at it. First of all, Jesus said, Blessed be ye poor. Not blessed are the poor. It said, Blessed be ye poor. So, he was talking to some of those that were there. You're blessed. 
That word blessed there means supremely blessed, fortunate, well-off, or empowered to prosper. So Jesus is looking at those that are poor. He said, blessed be ye poor, those of you that are here, blessed be ye poor. Why are they blessed? Why are they empowered to prosper? Why are they supremely blessed? Why are they fortunate? Why are they well off? Because I'll tell you why. Because they have the person with them in their presence who became poor so that they might become rich. That's why they're blessed. They're empowered to prosper because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In fact, you go later on into that scripture and into that very same chapter, Matthew chapter 6, actually not that, that same chapter, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 33, the word of God says this, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about God's system and God's ways of doing things. So when we study God's system and we study God's ways of doing things and we are a willing participant in those things, then we become blessed even if we find ourselves in a place of poverty right now because God's system and God's ways of doing things can lead us out of where we are to where we need to be. So, why are we blessed? Because ours is the kingdom of God. We are blessed because we have access to God's system, because we have access to God's ways of doing things, and that is the answer to the problem of poverty. And then it goes on, and it says, Blessed are ye that hunger now. Now, these are the four blessings. Blessed are ye that hunger now. Now, why would he say blessed are ye who are hungry right now? Because later they're not going to be hungry anymore. You see that? Later, they're not going to be hungry anymore. And so he said, blessed are ye that hunger now. You're hungry now, but not forever. Why? Because you have access to the kingdom of God. You have access to God's system and you have God's ways of doing things. And learning that and applying that to your life makes it possible for you to one day be filled. Then the Bible said, blessed are ye that laugh. Blessed are ye that laugh. Laugh. Uh, or blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. And it's basically the same thing. You have access to God's system and God's ways of doing things. Now, then he said, blessed are ye when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. And then he goes on and he said, here's what your response should be to that. When people start separating you from their company, company, when they start hating you, when they start hating on you, when they start saying whatever they want to against you, when they call you a reproach, when they literally call you evil because you have the audacity to be a Christian. Listen, being a Christian is not for wimps. Jesus wasn't a wimp. You go through what Jesus did. Jesus wasn't a wimp. So being a Christian isn't for wimps. People are going to hate you. People are going to talk about you. People are going to laugh at you. People are going to reproach you. They're going to cast out your name as evil. Here's what the Bible said. Rejoice and leap for joy when they do that. In other words, don't let it phase you. Let me say it like this. I love you 
more than sliced bread. But I'm not giving you permission to take my joy. You can't take my joy. You can't have my joy. I'm not going to let you have it. Say what you want to about me. You can't have my joy. Do what you want to to me. You can't have my joy. Haters hate on me. Got a lot of haters. Haters hate on me. You can't have my joy. Call me evil. Call me nasty. Call me, ah, oh, he just don't know what he's... You can't have my joy. You can't have my joy. I'm not going to let you have my joy. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. And that's where I get my strength from. I get my strength from the Lord. I'm going to stay in joy. Not only am I going to stay in love, but I'm going to stay in joy. I'm not going to let you have my joy. Look at your neighbor and say, ha ha, you can't have my joy. <laughs> so we focus. So what is our focus? The Bible said that when that happens to us, we're to rejoice. We're to leap for joy. Because our focus is we have a reward in heaven. And then he said, remember the prophets who were before you. So evidently, you're on track. If people are hating on you and people are talking about you and people are calling you evil and people are calling you all of these things, evidently you're on track because the devil trying to steal your joy. But I choose, Brenda, he can't have my joy. Devil can't have my joy. So now let's look at the four woes. So that was the four blessings, but now let's look at the four woes. And, and I just want to say something here in the very beginning when we start talking about the four woes. We look at these four woes in the scripture and Jesus, understand now, I want you to get the setting. Jesus had just chosen his 12 disciples out of the multitude. Jesus had been healing. Jesus had been ministering. And the Bible said the power of the Lord was present to heal. He had stretched forth hand and, the, and, and he had uh, already went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Pharisees and the scribes that were still there, by the way. And Jesus looked around at the disciples that he had chosen and he realized this is the very beginning of their training and they've already seen a whole lot. First of all, they've seen the people that people call Christians people from the synagogue, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they've already witnessed them in the first day hating on Jesus. They've already witnessed that. They've already witnessed Jesus praying for someone on the Sabbath day and telling him to stretch forth their hand. And the Pharisees having a problem with the fact that someone that had, that had had a withered hand all of their life all of a sudden got their miracle. They had that problem. I'm telling you, these people really had a problem. That's what religion will do. Religion will twist you all up. Religion will get you all discombobulated. Religion will get you all messed up. There's a whole lot of people today that are religious, but they don't know anything about Jesus. All they, they see Jesus as a historical fig figure. They don't see Him as a living, breathing person today. And so I want you to continue to get these pictures because so Jesus is... is is pronouncing these blessings. And then he goes on and he begins to build on these woes. Now, in the book of Matthew, the other book in the New Testament that kind of shares this story, this section is left out. When he talks about the woes, this section is left out. Now Luke, the reason we chose Luke is because Luke was a physician and the gospel of Luke is more detailed than any of the other gospels. And so we knew we were going to study the red letters, the things that Jesus said. And so we wanted to study from the man that had the most detail. 
Well, these are some of the details that were left out in the book of Matthew. And when you study the historians and you study the commentators and you study all of these different people, you'll find out that it's the common belief that what Jesus, that Jesus had quit talking to the disciples and for the benefit of the disciples was actually addressing these four woes to the Pharisees, to the Pharisees and the scribes. Woe unto you. Here's the first woe. So I wanted to get that. I want you to understand. Woe to the rich. So you got the disciples here, and you got this multitude here, and you got the Pharisees here, and you got the scribes here, and here's the Pharisees and the scribes, and Jesus is looking at them, and he says, and he's addressing them, and he says, Woe to you who are rich. He wasn't talking to the people, he wasn't talking to the disciples, he was talking to the Pharisees. Why? Because the Pharisees and the scribes had manipulated wealth out of the general population and used it to squander it upon themselves instead of use it for the kingdom. So we have to ask ourselves, when the scripture says woe to the, to the rich, we have to ask ourselves, is it wrong to have wealth? The Word of God says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Listen, wrong interpretations of Scripture can be offensive to God. Amen. I'm going to say that again. Wrong interpretations of Scripture can be offensive to God. What if you wrote something down for your, kid, for, for your kids? And your kids wrongly interpreted that. What if you wrote them a note and said, your mom and I are going to be out on a date tonight. It's Friday night. Y'all have a good time tonight. And so they're like, oh, wow, Dad said we can go to the club. <laughs> no, no, no. Probably what Dad meant was, you know, get a, get a pizza, get some Pepsi, and watch a movie at home. That was not permission to go to the club and get yourself in trouble and go have yourself a Good time. So you come staggering in the next morning and you're drunk and daddy and mama's all upset and they're like, where were you at? We got home, you weren't here and here you are. Look, well, you said go have a good time. Well, there's a whole lot of people that are doing that same thing with the scriptures today. Wrong interpretation of the scriptures because they're trying to interpret the scripture through reason instead of revelation. Hello? They're trying to interpret the scripture through, through reason instead of revelation. So is it wrong to be wealthy? Uh, but the Bible said, woe to the rich. Is it wrong to be wealthy? Well, we're going to rightly divide the word because we know that wrong interpretations of scripture can be offensive to God. 3 John 1, 2, here's what it says. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. Common scripture, almost everybody knows it. They like to quote it. You might have it hanging in your house. It might even be on your refrigerator. I don't know. But that's a passage of scripture that tells us that God wants us to prosper and God wants us to be healthy even as your soul prospers. Your soul is the seat of your mind and your will and your emotions. Then you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich... Yet for your sakes he became poor, look at this, that ye through his poverty might be, somebody shout it, rich. rich. That's the word. Now notice it said might be rich. That's why some are rich and some aren't. You know why? 
because there are some that are going to embrace God's system and God's ways of doing things, and there's others that are not going to embrace it. Now there's wealth that you can get through your own efforts, and then there's supernatural wealth. The Bible said that the wealth of the wicked is yours for the taking. So if we're spirit-filled people and the Word of God says the wealth of the wicked is ours for the taking, then why would He tell us that if it was wrong to be rich? It's not wrong to be rich. Well, but the Bible said, woe unto the rich. He's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. Let's just continue on here. Let's look at these scriptures. We're rightly dividing the Word. Deuteronomy 8.18 But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is He that giveth thee power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant, which He sware unto thy fathers, as it is to this day. He gives you the power to get wealth. Look at your neighbor and say, God will give you power to get wealth. He will, He will. And listen, it's not just a little kind of wealth. This is talking about the kind of wealth that establishes the covenant of God in your family to seven generations. That's what it's talking about. The Bible said the blessing of the Lord can come on your family for seven generations. The Bible said curses can come on your family for seven generations. How do you keep the blessing of the Lord on your family for perpetual generations? You teach the next generation to bless the next seven generations. And you teach them to teach the next generation to bless the next seven generations. That's how you keep the perpetual blessing of God on your family for perpetual generations. The Word of God said that He will give you power to get wealth. The power that will establish His covenant in you. 1 Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is the root of all evil. You hear this all of the time by religious people who are not students of the Word. Well, the Bible said that money is the root of all evil. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. The Bible did not say that that money is the root of all evil. Read it with me. The love of money is the root of all evil. While which some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced them through with many sorrows. And the reason is because they got to the point where they no longer had money, money had them. How do you know when someone is in a situation where money has you? It's when the Lord has blessed you with a little bit of wealth and you go around telling everybody that you don't have anything because you're trying to hoard it to yourself. Boom. Look at your neighbor and say, my pastor loves me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The love of money. How do you know that money doesn't have control of you? If you can't turn it loose, it has you. If the Lord speaks to you and you can turn it loose, it doesn't have you. God's system is so seed and reap harvest. God's ways of doing things is so seed and reap harvest. In fact, God is so sold on that idea that He called Jesus the seed of the woman and allowed Him to be sown in a grave for three days. And then when He came forth, He called Him the first fruits of the resurrection. So Jesus sprouted out of that grave. He was raised from the dead, but he sprouted out of that grave and became the first fruits of the resurrection. And because he lives, according to the word of God, the Bible said we can live also. So money's not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. It's the chase of money. It's living to try every way in the world to get ahead of your neighbor. Let me tell you something. One of these days, you're going to wake up and you're going to turn around and you're going to realize... 
I'm getting old and I can't take it with me. My mother, I'm going to tell on her, love her heart. She's in her 70s. I got to see her yesterday. They live in Grand Rapids. So they came over. And she had cataract surgery on one of her eyes. And so I'm teasing her, you know. I said, and this was back on the 5th, so it's just a couple of days ago. So she's like, and she's going to have the other one done. But all of a sudden, she's seeing colors and she, all, all this kind of thing. So I'm teasing her, and I said, Mom, I said, how are you seeing? She said, oh, my goodness, I'm seeing really well. I said, so now you see how ugly Dad is. Do you still love him? <laughs> She said, she said, yes, I still love him like that. And then she said, but I don't want to look in the mirror. I said, how come? She said, because I have wrinkles and I didn't know I had wrinkles. I said, I said, dear mama, I said, you've had wrinkles for years. I said, we love your wrinkles. <laughs> but that, anyway, that was hilarious. But I don't know how I got off on that. <laughs> but the love of money is the root of all evil. You know, when you get older, things change. And let me tell you something. You're going to die someday. If the Lord delays His coming, we're all going to die someday. We want to go to heaven, don't we? And we're believing the Lord to go to heaven. And, you know, I mean, you can't buy your way into heaven. It's not like that. That's not what we're talking about. I mean, it, whether you give or whether you don't give, that, I mean, Jesus already purchased your salvation on Calvary. So, I mean, there's no way you can buy your way into heaven. But what about so many lost people out here that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ? Why, you know, if, if money has you, you're going to hold on to it and not release it for the proclamation of the gospel so other people that don't know about Jesus can hear about Him. So don't let money have you. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. So money's not the root, it's the love. Now look at Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. But wait a minute, Jesus said, woe to the rich. Well, he said all of these things too, because holy men of God wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. So, there you go. So, Psalms 1, verses 1 through 3. I love this passage of Scripture. I've preached series on this. Blessed, empowered to prosper, is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. What is the counsel of the ungodly? Do it the world's way. That's the counsel of the ungodly. I'm not going to get into it. Nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So, if I want to be empowered to prosper, if I want to be blessed, then first of all, I can't receive ungodly counsel. I can't do things the way sinners do it. And I can't sit over here and scorn people because they've got more than I've got. Then the Bible said, But the blessed man's delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And verse number 3 says, And he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And read it with me. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. 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 That's the word. Listen, this isn't Pastor Jonathan preaching. This isn't even, this isn't even Dr. Vorce preaching. This is the word. This is the word. 
Whatever he doeth shall prosper. Now, I'm going to submit to you. Either you're going to believe the word or you're not. It's either the word or it's not. Why would you believe one part of the word and not believe another part of the word? It makes no sense. In my first church, I did something I'll probably never do again. I took a message Bible and I illustrated. I didn't have the King James or anything like that, but I had a little message Bible. It was kind of new. And so I did a little illustration. While I was preaching, I was talking about how that sometimes there's parts of the Word of God that we want to accept and there's other parts that we don't want to accept because we want the Word to adapt to our lifestyle. We don't want our lifestyle to adapt to the Word. And so I, as I was preaching, I was just tearing pages out of the Bible. Message translation. Got their attention. That's right. Tearing it up. And before it was over, I had a Bible about that thick. I said, now this is my Bible. This is the one that I want to live by. And then I picked up all those other pieces of paper and I held them up. I said, this really doesn't apply to me. I'm just going to put that down here. This is the Bible. Listen, you can't, and, and, I, and I made that illustration. I said, you can't do that. And then I started putting the pages back in that Bible and put it all back together. And I held it up and I said, this is what your Bible needs to look like. It's the whole Word of God. You can't take a little piece out here and a little piece out there and a little piece out there and say, well, I just don't agree with that. I mean, it just doesn't go along with my thinking. Quit trying to reason out God's Word. Let God reveal His Word to you. All right, now, the right attitude towards wealth. Luke chapter 12. I want you to go there. Luke chapter 12. We're going to read it. Luke chapter 12 and verses 13 through 21. Here's what the Bible says. One of the companies said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made thee me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds like retirement. <laughs> Verse 20. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which you have provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now there are a few things here that I want to point out. Verse number 19. Let's read verse number 19 again. It says, And I will say to my soul. Here's what I've learned through the years. Never have a conversation with your soul about temporal things. Because your soul will mess you up every time. Be spirit driven, not soul driven. 
Be spirit-driven, not soul-driven. Another, another way we can put this, the, the Word of God puts it like this. It says, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other. They're always fighting with one another. The flesh and the spirit is always fighting for the upper hand. Guess who chooses who the winner is? We do. We do. Feed your flesh, your flesh will get big. Feed your spirit, your spirit will get big. So be spirit-driven, not soul-driven, and quit having conversations with your soul about, well, well, I mean, some of you are having a conversation with your soul right now. Well, I just don't know about this. I've never seen anything like this. I've never heard anything like this. Some of you watching, I've never heard anyone get up and actually, I mean, I've heard preachers talk about it, but I've never heard them expound on the Scripture and actually open up the Scripture. What's preaching? What are our preachers doing today? I'm not supposed to be up here just tickling your... I've got to teach you the Word of God. And the Word of God tells us that we're not supposed to have conversations with our soul when it comes to them. Verse number 19, I, it says here, I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And so with that conversation with his soul got him all messed up. It got him all discombobulated. God said, you're a fool. Verse 20, he said, you're a fool talking to your soul about things pertaining to God. The carnal mind, here's another scripture, cannot conceive of the things of God, their foolishness unto him, because they're spiritually discerned. That's Bible. That's in your Bible. Say that's in my Bible. All right, now let's go on. Verse number 20. You can't take it with you. Why would you leave it to someone who's going to squander it and not use it to advance the kingdom of God? Look at verse number 20. God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which you have provided? The Bible said that a good man lays up for his children's children. I'm trying to lay up a legacy for my kids. And I want to try to leave them something. But they know that I feel like it's their responsibility to generate and accumulate their own wealth. Because if you work all of your life and you give it to your deadbeat son or daughter who's 35 years old and still living in your basement... Or your deadbeat son or daughter who's made bad choices and poor choices and poor decisions all of their life because you spoiled them so bad you never taught them how to stand on their own two feet. Hello. Uh -oh. Then what do you think they're going to do with your hard-earned money? I'll tell you what they're going to do. Are you ready for this? They're going to give it to the devil. How are they going to give it to the devil? They're going to squander it away. With all kinds, like, like the prodigal son, partying and wine and women and song, and they're going to squander it away and get it taken away from them because they don't know the value of a hard-earned buck. Now, on the other hand, if you've got great kids who love the Lord and have their priorities right, and their values are good, and they match with what you want, then maybe you might want to leave some of that to them. But I'm telling you right now, one of these days, if I go by the way of the grave, 
Don, if, if, if I drop dead right now, Donna's taken care of. I've made sure of that. I'm not going to, but if I did, she's taken care of. The kids are kind of taken care of. They're young enough to take care of themselves. They're kind of taken care of. But I think it's important for us to start reevaluating our life and start reevaluating what we're doing. And I've made up my mind that one day, if I go by the way of the grave, Donna, Mama's going to be taken care of. I'll leave something to the kids. But I'm going to make sure God's work is well-funded. I'm going to make sure God's work is taken care of. Because the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to cross generation after generation after generation after generation. And this is what Jesus was saying here. He says you need, verse 21, you need to be rich towards God. That's what he said, verse 21. He said be rich towards God. That means prioritize God's work with your finances. It's what it says. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Look at your neighbor and say, Whoo! No, just go, Whoo! Man, he's, he's getting ready to get off that money thing. If I was the devil, there's two things that I would try to get preachers not to preach on. Finances. Because if we can teach you what the Word of God says about it, it can move you into a wealthy place. And the devil knows that if the church ever gets rich, it's over for him. That's number one. And I would spread lies like all the preacher ever wants is money. And, and then I would, I would do everything that I could to try to make people that are spirit-filled, that speak in tongues, that believe in miracles, look like fools. If I was the devil, that's how I would fight God's work, and that's how he's doing it. Now let's go on. Woe unto you that are full. The rest of these are not this long. 1 John 3, 17. But whoso hath this world's good, and sees his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how doth the love of God, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So we go back to uh, Luke chapter 6, and the Bible says, Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. What does this mean? Now understand, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. Keep that in mind. And he's looking at these folks. And he says, Woe unto you that are full, for you shall hunger. It's wrong to live it up when there are hungry and hurting people around you. That's what he's trying to tell them. And then first, first John 3.17 is what I just shared with you. Now there's some points that I want to clarify here. I think it's important. Now, whoso hath this world's goods and sees his brother have need, shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him. Whoso hath this world's good and sees his brother have need. All right, points to clarify. Number one, the word is talking about a spiritual brother or a spiritual sister. And I'm telling you right now, not everyone falls into this category. The Bible said that we're supposed to try to help take care of the poor, but we are to prioritize our brothers and our sisters. That's the Word. That's what the Word says. And not everybody that comes to you wanting finances, are you you're not supposed to give to everyone that asks, that, that asks for finances. If God speaks to you to do something for someone, do it. 
But if God doesn't speak to you to do something for someone, then you're not bound to do it. And the Word of God specifically says that we are supposed to prioritize our brothers and our sisters. No brother of mine would have treated me the way that man was trying to treat me. So we're not of the same father. So I'm not bound by this scripture to take care of him. Quit letting people throw guilt trips on you if you have finances and money and make you feel bad if you don't give them 10 bucks every time you see them. Come on, I'm teaching you good. I know I need to quit, but I'm teaching you all good. Because this is what the enemy will do. He'll nickel and dime you to death because he's got a whole lot of them out there that when they find out that church is like an ATM. There's some wealthy people there. I'll walk in there and I'll just start going to them and they'll start digging in their pockets and they'll start... Listen. It matters where you sow your seed. What kind of harvest do you want? Mm. Come on. What kind of harvest do you want? The DNA is in the seed that is sown. Take care of the poor. When you take care of the poor, you cleanse that seed with a prayer. You say, Lord, I'm obeying you and I'm asking you to bless these people. And then you give and you take care of the poor. But you only do that under, under the direction of the Lord. And as time goes on and as things start winding up and as the church, as we get farther and farther and farther along here, as we go along, the church is going to have to be more discerning. I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about you. You're the church. You're going to have to become more and more discerning or the devil is going to nickel and dime you to death and you won't be able to do anything significant for the kingdom of God when God puts it in your heart to do it. Alright. Now, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that we're supposed to take care of the widows who are widows indeed. Now, I've talked about this before and, and you need to go home and you need to study 1 Timothy chapter 5. But the Bible doesn't say that we're supposed to take care of every widow. I've had people come in here and they were widows and they've come in here and they don't want to do nothing for the Lord, nothing at all. They just want to come, they just want to sit and if they have a bill or something, they want to be able to call the church and have the church pay their bill. We get calls like that almost every week. Well, the Bible says, well, I'm a widow. You're, the Bible says you're supposed to take care of widows. No, the Word of God says we're supposed to take care of widows who are widows indeed. 1 Timothy chapter 5 clarifies what a widow indeed is. A widow indeed is a person who has nobody else to take care of her who hangs around the church and ministers to the Lord day and night. Those are the widows. Back in the New Testament church day, the widows that had no children, had no family, would come to the church. They would minister to the priest because the priest and the Levites would live there at the temple and they would do the dishes and they would cook the meals and they would do the laundry and they would take care of things. And the Bible was saying and Jesus was saying, take care of those widows. They are widows indeed. 
They are really widows. They have nothing. They have no one. They didn't have a husband who died and took care of them and made sure they were okay for the rest of their life. They don't have children. In fact, the Bible says if you have children, your children in 1 Timothy 5, your children have the responsibility to take care of you. You're not a widow indeed if you have children who have the wherewithal to take care of you. But today, in today's religiosity and religious mentality, people will come to church and they'll be sitting on all kinds of wealth and everything else and they're a widow and you're supposed to take care of me. I'm a widow. Listen, I love you and I'll do what I can within the bounds of Scripture to help you and to take care of you. But you are not nickeling and diming my time away and you are not nickeling and diming my wealth away. And you're definitely not going to do that to the church. If you're a widow indeed, you have nobody to take care of you, no grandchildren, no children, and you have nothing to your name, then come and hang around the church every day. We'll put you to work. We'll find something for you to do. My second church, I need to stop. But in my second church, I'm trying to get through this, but in my second church, I had a guy come up, and I'd never met him before. He had a son, a son with him. And he said, I need $300. Well, it was a little tiny church. We, had just, we were just getting started. We didn't have hardly anybody in it. The whole sanctuary was about the size of this stage, right, Donna? 47 people packed. I mean, it was tiny. And we had, a little, we had a little trailer beside the church that when you walk through it, you'd fall through the floor anywhere. So I contacted the fire department and I told them, I said, do you want something to practice on? <laughs> and they said, yes, we do. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I said, if you come out here and you can practice, you can bring your folks out and you can just burn this thing down and you can practice on it and all of that kind of thing. Well, they did. They burned it down, got it down to ashes and steel and different things like that. And there was still, a, you know, after a fire, there's still some rubbish and whatnot. So this guy shows up and he says, I need $300. I'm getting ready to, I need a place to stay or something. I can't remember what it was, but it was some. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I said, you see that, that heap out there? I said, it would take you about five or six hours to clean it up. I said, I'll give you that $300 if you'll clean that up. My goodness, I was giving him 50 bucks an hour. Do you think he wanted it? Mm -mm. This is how you know if it's the devil. If they want something for nothing. If they want something for nothing. Don't. Here's the point that I think that Jesus is trying to get across to us in this particular part of, the, of, of this teaching. Quit letting people take advantage of you. Bless people. Encourage people, do it according to the word, but quit letting them take advantage of you. Woe unto you who laugh. Proverbs 17, 22. The Bible said, a merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. So why would he say, woe unto you who laugh? I'll tell you why. Because they were pompous, they were arrogant, they were audacious, they laughed at the calamity of other people. And Jesus was telling these, these uh, disciples, don't be like these Pharisees here who are pompous and who are arrogant and who are laughing at other people's calamity. Have compassion like Jesus did. Woe unto those who laugh. 
And then the Bible said, woe when all men speak well of you. I think that the key word right there is the word all. There's always going to be someone speaking well of us, hopefully, Lord willing, but the Bible said, woe when all men speak well of you. And I have no idea what just happened, but that is the end. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. So woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. Uh, some will speak well of you. But when everyone starts speaking well of you, it's time to examine yourself. It's time to examine yourself. Now let me say it like this. Are you listening to me? Listen to me. You can't live holy and not offend somebody. Do you hear me? You can't live holy and not offend someone or somebody. So woe when all men speak well of you. I love you guys. I want you to speak well of me. I want you to have a good thought, good thoughts when you think about me. But I realize, listen, I got delivered from feeling like everybody had to like me in my first church. I realized there's just going to be some people who don't like you. They don't like you. They don't like your personality. They don't like the way you preach for me. They don't like the way you teach. You know, believe it or not, there's some people that don't come here because I don't scream and buck and holler and spit and grunt over the first three rows. You're a Pentecostal church? You're not a Pentecostal church. You don't let, well, nah, you, you don't even preach. You just stand up there and teach. Listen, I found out a long time ago that this is a whole lot better for you than me getting up here and just saying a whole bunch of nothing trying to work up your emotions. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. You can't live tomorrow on yesterday's shout, but you can live tomorrow on the word you got today. Amen. 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 So I hope that clarified. So the next time that you uh, the next time that you read that passage of scripture where it says Woe unto the rich. And some religious person said, well, Jesus said, woe unto the rich. Now you have an explanation for it. It's real simple. Rightly divide the word of truth. Go read your Bible. Go study your Bible. Find out really what it says. Let's stand. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at wwwsuncoast 4 and that's the number four, Jesus. TV. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.